Hey, little buddies, it's Uncle Rick from the Uncle Rick Audio Book Club. Today's podcast, we are reading from a book called Paul Revere and the Boys of Liberty. Exciting stories from our early years, just before the Revolutionary War. Today we are reading a chapter, it's titled Carting Ammunition. You remember the first battle of the war was at Lexington, Massachusetts. That's because the British were marching to capture two patriot leaders, Sam Adams and John Hancock, and a bunch of gunpowder and ammunition and other stuff that the patriots have been collecting in case they had to fight the British army. So that's kind of sets the scene for this. What have we got in that cart, Abram Billington? Asked a soldier who had orders not to allow any ammunition to pass out of Boston by that road. As you are so anxious to know, you'd better search, the farmer replied. Governor Gage had heard that the people of Boston had been gathering lots of powder and other ammunition and had been sending it out of the city to the farmhouses nearby, and the quantities were being stored at Concord. To prevent this, he had practically declared Boston under martial law, though not openly at that time. Every cart leaving the city was stopped and examined, but with little result. The soldier looked into the cart and found nothing but a lot of useless rubbish. What in the name of St. George are you going to do with all that? he asked. I have no objection to telling you. I have a nasty piece of lowland that needs filling in, and I have contracted to take away all the rubbish from a number of houses. So you'll see me off in this way. All right, farmer. I'm only sorry it was my duty to stop you. Never mind that. A good man always does his duty. Good day. Good day, farmer. Abram Billington drove on, whistling a tune which was unlike anything ever heard before, for the farmer had no idea of music. When he got some distance down the road, he stopped his horse and gave it a much-needed rest. The rubbish was very heavy. Poor old girl, he said as he stroked the nose of his mare. I hate to impose on you, but I had to drive you hard, for rubbish is light while we carry is heavy. The journey was resumed, and Billington allowed the mare to take her time. That you, Hosea? Guess you about struck it, Captain. What are you doing going down the road? Oh, I thought as how a ride with you'd be kind of nice. That's not the reason. Now out with it. Why, Captain, tell the truth. I guess you'll have to dump that stuff at Denman's. Why? Because there's been a kind of skunk around all afternoon. You mean that we're suspected? I don't know about that, because I don't know what suspected means, but... That skunk was asking me a lot of stuff. All right, Hosea, to Denham's we will go. Eh, Mare? The horse did not object. Perhaps she knew the Denman's was a mile nearer than her own home. A comfortable farmhouse was reached, and Billington said that he had a load of stuff from Boston he would like to unload. Denman seemed to understand, for he led the way around to the barn and helped Billington to unload. A quantity of rubbish was moved aside, and from under it, two barrels of powder and a quantity of lead was taken and hidden in the hayloft. I guess that's safe, eh, Denman? Not a bit of it will be used except against the enemies of our province. Good. Don't tell anyone about it. No, not a word. The mare was started on her way home, the load being pleasantly lighter. Hosea was very talkative, and the farmer saw that he was more serious than usual. What was that? The farmer asked softly. I guess it's some kind of skunk or other, answered Hosea. 
Let me hide in the cart. I'm feared. Get in, you silly fellow. I thought you had more courage. Hosea crawled into the cart and hid himself in the rubbish. It did not matter to him that it was not as fresh as it might be. He said he was afraid, and that was enough to account for his absence of squeamishness. So what he's doing is carting garbage with gunpowder and stuff hidden underneath it. Hosea, when you hear the entire book, he, um, what they call in those days a natural, meaning his mind wasn't right, kind of person that long ago they used to call retarded. Today we would call brain damaged or mentally challenged or whatever. Anyway, his brain didn't work right, poor old guy or young guy. The farmer had not gone very much farther before a man stepped into the middle of the road and seized the horse's bridle, while another man clambered into the cart. Say a word and I'll kill you, said the man at the horse's head. What do you want? You have a load of powder intended for the rebels, and you've got to cart it back to Boston. Is that so? You know it is. I know nothing of the sort. What's more, I have no powder I wish I had. You do, eh? Yes, for if I had my pistol with me, I'd make you drop that bridle rather quickly. Turn your horse round. I will not, and let me tell you that there is still some law in the province, and you shall suffer for this indignity. Then there came a laugh and a shout from the back of the cart. Murder! Furies! Murder! The man who had clambered into the cart shouted out these words as he jumped from the cart and ran shrieking down the road. What is it? shouted his companion, but no answer came. So the man dropped the bridle and followed his companion, and how they did run. They cared nothing for holes and ruts, but sped over the ground like wild creatures. From the cart there came a gurgling laugh, smothered somewhat by the rubbish, but still loud enough for the farmer to hear. What are you laughing at, Hosea? It was fun. What was fun? Why, to see that chap fall out of the cart and scamper down the road. What made him do it? I don't know. I fancy you do. Now tell me, my boy. Well, Captain was this way. When you said as how you had no powder, the chap began to feel around under the hay and stuff, and his hand got into my mouth somehow, and I didn't like it, so I closed my teeth. And then he shouted murder. <laughs> you bit him? I guess I must have done, because I had a nasty taste in my mouth, and it was like blood. When Billington reached home, he found Paul Revere waiting for him and gladly congratulated him on having moved so much powder. I have some work for your company, said Revere. We're ready for it. It's full of danger. All the more eager to do it. Why, boys? Yes, indeed, Father, Ted spoke up. I should love some danger. Everything's been so very tame up to now. You'll have your film, my boy, ere long, and heaven grant that we may all live to see the end. In the town of Braintree, the powder house is full of the best powder. It's not safe there. You want us to get it? Yes, Braintree is full of Tories, and it'll be a shame if they can get the powder to use against us. I will take care of that. They want a good force of men. How many can you count on? Hmm. You anticipate a fight? If 20 men went, I do not think one would live to tell the tale. Then in numbers will be our safety. That is my idea. When must we go? John Hancock thinks it would be best to make the raid on Sunday. For a moment, the farmer's face clouded, and his wife gasped with horror. 
for the revolutionary men were deeply religious and had not outgrown the strict Puritanism which had descended from their ancestors. To them, Sunday was so sacred that in many families no work of any kind was allowed to be performed, and not one would ever think of taking his horses out on that day. Ours is a religious work, farmer and my dear dame, or I would not advocate doing it on Sunday. I know that, Master Revere, and Sunday is indeed the best time. On the following Sunday evening, Billington, at the head of a force of nearly 200 boys of liberty, set out for Braintree. The men seemed very unlikely soldiers, and by the side of England's redcoats they would present a sorry appearance. But what they lacked in military deportment they more than made up for in earnest enthusiasm. Halt! The boys of liberty came to a stand, and Captain Billington, mounted on one of his farm horses, rode on ahead accompanied by his two sons and Farmer Denman. "'Where are we going, father?' "'Hush, I hear the tramp of horses.' Two men riding splendid horses were now seen coming down the road, and the four boys of liberty spread themselves across the roadway so that no two could pass. "'Halt!' shouted Farmer Billington. "'Who are you that dareth to stop two king's men?' asked one of the approaching horsemen. "'King's men, are you? That's just what we thought.' Stand aside and let us pass, or on your head be the blame. Tut, tut, men. What precious work are you on? Armed with the authority of King George and Governor Gage, these men thought that no one would dare stop them, and they showed their amazement. We have two warrants which we must serve. Two warrants. We'll hand them over, and we will attend to them. Quick, we can stand no delay. One of the king's men drew a pistol. But Billington made his horse spring forward, and with a well-directed blow knocked the pistol from his hand. "'Give me those warrants, or you shall both die.' "'To whom are we speaking?' said the king's man with a sneer. "'To the people of this province,' answered Billington, whereupon the two British soldiers laughed. Todd, with all the enthusiasm of boyhood, leaped forward and dexterously catching the speaker by the leg, unhorsed him so quickly that the man had no power to resist.' Captain Billington whistled, and his little army of boys of liberty rushed forward at a double quick. Only, if truth must be told, their quick march was more of an indiscriminate race than a military march. The king's men, seeing the force which surrounded them, begged for their lives, and Billington told them that if they gave up the warrants, no harm should come to them. The documents were produced and hastily scanned. Boys of liberty... Had these warrants been served, some of our best men would have been sent to England to die an ignominious death. What shall we do with them? Hang them. No, I mean, what shall we do with the papers? Burn them. All in favor of burning them, say yay. Yay, yay. The word was taken up by everyone present. And then Captain Billington ordered that the executioner should be one of the king's men. Each of the officers refused to burn the warrants, and for a time it looked as though they could not be forced to do so. But Hosea came to the rescue. The boy had been sitting on one of the carts, apparently doing nothing but playing with some ropes. He sprang down, and quicker than the act can be described, he had slip-knotted a noose over the head of one of the officers. Throwing the other end over a high branch of a tree, he began to pull until the king's man was balancing himself on his toes and trying to prevent the pressure of the rope from strangling him. Hosea pulled a little harder, and all the time sang an old nursery rhyme about the cow jumping over the moon. The tension was great, and the man could not save himself. 
He pleaded for mercy, but Hosea kept on singing and pulling until the man could no longer touch the ground with his toes. When you burn the paper, I'll let you down, cried Hosea. The king's man was unable to speak, but he motioned that he would do whatever they demanded. With a sudden release of the rope, he struck the ground, and Hosea stood ready to repeat the dose of involuntary suspension if the man showed any hesitation. A lantern was opened, and by the flame of the candle the papers were burned. At the command of Billington, the two king's men were securely gagged and bound, and then fastened to a tree to await the return of the boys of liberty. The order to march was given, and Braintree was reached. The powder house stood just outside the marketplace, and was guarded by a single soldier. Denman and young Abram Billington threw themselves on the man and disarmed him. He was secured by ropes and the keys of the powder house taken from him. Ready hands made light work, and in ten minutes every barrel of powder was loaded into the carts and the order to return was given. As the procession passed down the street, a window was opened, and a woman's face appeared. "'Tis Mistress Adams,' said Denman. "'Aye, so it is.' "'Do you want any powder, Mrs. Adams?' asked Denman. "'Nay, nay, my good man, it is in such good hands.' Had it not been Sunday, those gallant boys of liberty would have cheered the patriotic dame, but as Mistress Adams wrote to her husband, they were as decorous as though they were going home from the meeting-house. On the way back, the two king's men were released, but their horses were confiscated to the cause of liberty, not on account of the value of the animals, but to prevent the officers giving an early alarm. The powder was safely stored in a place well guarded by patriotic colonists, and the triumphant boys of liberty returned to their homes to snatch a few hours of rest ere the labors of the weekend commenced. And that's the story, at least one chapter of the story, but that's a pretty accurate depiction of what the American colonists had to do to store up powder and ammunition to fight for their freedom when the time came that they had to do that. And that is a very exciting book, Paul Revere and the Boys of Liberty. It's fiction, but it's based on actual history, historical fact, and really gives a great glimpse into the times in which the colonists lived. Right on the threshold of the signing of the Declaration of Independence and beginning of a new nation called America. So, with that, I must leave you for today. Been good to be with you. Hope you'll let me read to you again very soon. And remember, if you haven't joined the Uncle Rick Audio Book Club yet, you need to join that thing and get on there, download yourself a couple of great books, and then go over to the video section and watch my Bible lessons and out and about with Uncle Rick and learning fun with Uncle Rick. Oh, there's some great stuff on there. You are going to love it. But I must leave you now. I hope you have a wonderful week until we get together again. And in the meantime, always remember, always put God first in your life. Be a patriotic American and honor thy father and thy mother. See you later.